I want to get started in about one minute. Yeah, maybe less. Okay, the uh, big clock on the wall says 11, and if I look at the schedule, it says I'm supposed to start talking at 11, so I'm talking, it's 11. <laughs> Thank you all for uh, coming out. Uh, who's, is this your first Azure Data Fest? There's only been a few. Yeah, so maybe maybe that'd be the first. So my goal was to finish early. The lunch is next, and um, I'm just going to try and walk through this material, make it as much as I can. A few slides, mostly demo, and we're going to talk about lifting and shifting SSIS to Azure Data Factory, SSIS integration runtime. Who's working with SSIS now? Okay, quite a few. All right, who's got it in the cloud? Anybody? I, don't, I didn't see any hands. Okay, wow. All right, you're in the right session. A um, couple of questions I'm going to try to answer today is, do I need to lift and shift SSIS? And if the answer to that is yes, how will I do that? Um, there's a couple of slides here about me, but I have a stack of business cards in my pocket, one of my pockets, that I will leave up here. And if you want to know more about me, just come get a business card and go to Bingle, type me in, and there they are. And um, you can learn more about me. The two key things on this slide are, I am a grandfather, that'll come up a little bit later, and I'm an engineer, which you will have to tolerate throughout this talk, that is a warning. Um, this other slide is some other stuff I do. By the way, Data Driven, Frank, raise your hand. Frank's my co-host on Data Driven. We're actually running this live. I think I'm on our page right now. Uh, Hi, everybody. All right, so I told you I was a grandpa, right? And that wasn't a warning, but Grandpa Andy wants to tell you a story. You ready? It's a story of Andy Weather. So Andy Weather is a bunch of things. It's a little weather station, an Accurite weather station that lives on my deck in Farmville, Virginia, about three hours, three and a half hours south of here. It's connected uh, by base station via USB to a severely underpowered workstation. It's got two gigs of RAM, it's running one to 732. That's intentional because of, I warned you I was an engineer, right? You learn how things break when you underpower them. That, um, via a little application that I wrote in C-sharp, a dumb little app, I, I drop a CSV file that that generates uh, up to Azure Blob Storage. I do that every 12 or 15 minutes. Um, and once it gets into uh, Blob Storage, I run an Azure Data Factory pipeline to pull it from Blob Storage and load it into an instance of Azure SQL DB. And um, there's, a, there's a picture of my Azure SQL DB table that I then read from, and I use that to populate a couple of things. One is AndyWeather.com. You can go there right now and see the latest reading that it that it populated. If my son Stevie Ray got out of bed at the crack of ten and went upstairs and restarted the app because it's always crashing, uh, you'll see one from today. If not, you'll see one from yesterday. And also at Twitter, there's another dumb little app that lives on that workstation, another C Sharp console app that tweets at AndyWeather. Twitter.com/AndyWeather. And again, you'll see something blank maybe or. Maybe you'll see some, some good information. The reason that um, this is an exciting weather day for me because we're having a weather event. There's a remnant of a hurricane coming through, so we should see drops in barometric pressure. I'm not a professional weather person. I'm an amateur weather weed. So all of that said, that's the kind of the story behind us. The piece that I'm going to be talking about today is really this, this chunk in here that is Azure Data Factory. And I'm going to replace this. I'm going to show you a, an SSIS package that I built to replace this. Remember, it reads from the blob storage. It writes to the Azure SQL DB table. Okay? 
that's where we're focusing because I built this initially on premises. And I want to talk about three things um, as we kind of walk through this. I want to look at how we view the, uh, the SSIS configuration, the data integration, data engineering configuration. How do we look at that? What, what are we looking at? How do we validate that? If we're going to do something like practice lifecycle management, and you may not realize this, those of you who work with SSIS, I'm sure do, uh, SSIS is software development. It suffers from having the name of a really popular SQL Server, SQL Server in the name, which is a popular relational database engine. But it's software, it's not database. Um, so we're going to validate all of the pieces that we have to move. And, and that's part of uh, software development, lifecycle management. It's part of software development best practices. And then we're going to manage it just like we would manage any other application. And those are most of the slides until the end. I hope it's okay if I jump right into a demo. All right, so here we go. I've got a virtual machine on this uh, system. It's called VDemo. I was feeling really creative when I named it. Um, there is a screenshot of, of Andy Weather. I haven't tried refreshing this to see if it's going to do better than, than yesterday. It takes a minute to come up because it's, it's running kind of slow. It's an old GoDaddy thing that it's running on. And it looks like it did pop up really, really quickly, but it doesn't have a recent, either it's updating right now or it doesn't have a recent reading. But you can go to andyweather.com and see when it's working. And there we go, 718. It's loading, actually. That's what's going on. So it, there's, it truncates off the table and then loads it. So as we refresh it, just as luck would have it, we'll see these data, these date changes. And there's our latest reading that we stored at 1048 AM. Uh, you note the pressure in Farmville, Virginia is down to 988 millibars. That's low for us. That means there's a low pressure system coming through, which is the remnants of Hurricane Michael. So I don't know how, more, how much more relevant I can make uh, my demo than that. So let's go look at SSIS just for a minute here. And I've got Visual Studio 2017 running. I've got an execute SQL task that truncates my destination table. This is a whack and load pattern. If you're familiar with SSIS design patterns, I truncate the destination first, and then my data flow task is, a, is an incremental loader only because some of my data coming from the edge, which my weather station is sitting on the edge, sometimes that application duplicates data. So I have to check for dupes. I do that in a lookup over here, and then I'm loading my, uh, my destination. Very generic um, names. If we know that I'm pulling the data from Azure Blob Storage, and if I run this, it should run. Let's uh, see, I just pressed F5. Let's see if it, the data flow runs and loads. And the truncate should load. That takes a couple of seconds, and then the data flow starts. And it begins pumping records in. And we've got a relatively quick connection here at Microsoft. And yeah, we loaded 20,057 rows earlier before Stevie Ray went up and restarted the application that had crashed on the severely underpowered workstation. It was loading 19,995 records, so we've collected some data since the last crash. Um, is this interesting? I'm curious. Yeah, it's, it's, like I said, Grandpa Andy's kind of telling you a story. But you, I, I didn't want to do an entire data warehouse here and show you this. I can, I promise, I've done it in the past, but I wanted to show you just kind of the concepts here. So, what I'm not going to show you is I'm not going to go into how to build your own instance of the Azure Data Factory SSIS integration runtime. I'm not because Microsoft has thoroughly documented this and I've also blogged about it. So my blog is andyleonard.blog and you go there and search for um, lift and shift SSIS. There's two parts, part zero and part one. I warned you I was an engineer, right? Zero is a number. So part zero talks about how to configure the, the Azure Data Factory SSIS runtime. Walk through that and you can do it. It's still relevant. I wrote it just back in June and they keep changing things, but they haven't changed that yet. Um, and so you can, you can do that. Once you've done that, let's pop into my dashboard here. If I go to my resources, and there's one called um, ADF3 Andy. That means there were three prior to that, right? ADF0, one, and two because zero is a number. When I go there, I can click on author and monitor, it'll open up another window, and it's the Azure Data Factory window, and it will show me this banner at the top, and one of the options in the banner 
is configure SSIS integration runtime. Now, I'm not going to go through all everything about ADF, but I want you to realize there's an integration runtime in ADF uh, initially, regardless. When you create an instance of Azure Data Factory, there is an integration runtime. This is just part of the architecture. They added an integration runtime that supports SSIS. Now, when you're running SSIS in your enterprise, who's using the catalog to do that right now, you SSIS people? One person. And that's not uncommon. Who's running from the file system? Anybody? Yeah, a bunch of people. Yeah, most people are running from the file system still. Here's the thing. If you lift and shift your SSIS into Azure Data Factory's SSIS integration runtime, you no longer have that option. It has to go to the catalog. That's, that, that's the way it is on today, October the 11th, 2018. So you have to know how to do this, and, and you're going to be at a, you're going to have, I was going to say you're going to be at a disadvantage, that's not true, but you're going to have to learn some new stuff. Because the catalog is not the same as running it from the file system. You have different options. They have some really, really clever and cool solutions for logging and externalization, configuration, that sort of stuff. It's also complex, very flexible, but very complex. Um, and if you're like me, when I made the transition into putting uh, SSIS into the catalog, I struggled with the externalization and configuration stuff. One example is you could do a bunch of configurations like DTS config files, XML, right? You could list those out in what we call package deployment mode, which is the old way of doing it. Since we have a new way, we have to give them the old way of name. They call that package deployment model. The new way is project deployment model. That's the default. And you could list out project configurations. You could have multiple configurations, and they would mostly run in the order they were listed there. Don't get me started on why I said mostly. But mostly they would run in that order. But in the catalog, you have a similar mechanism, but you can only choose one thing. So you only everything has to be in one, what they call an environment in the SSI's catalog. We're going to take a look at these. Because I've got this configured locally first. I wanted to show you what this looks like when I deploy this uh, SSIS package locally. I'm going to stop the execution here. And uh, you've seen the integration services deployment wizard. You've probably seen. Uh, SSMS, and when you when you look at this locally, it looks like this. So there's my Azure Loader is the name of my solution, the name of my project as well. There's Load Andy Weather, that's the, the name of the package. And then there's this environment. So when I configure this locally, if I go to right click and configure the project, I can see all of the configuration stuff that's available. There's no parameters in this particular solution, um, but there are three connection managers. One for the blob storage and two for the target. There's an ADO.net and a uh, OLEDB connection. I decided, so I could demo this, to show you what it's like to configure the, um, the ADO.net using what's called a literal. It's an override. So there are three sources of values or parameters in the SSIS catalog. There's the value you built it with, right? You ever heard, as a developer, you ever heard a developer say it works on my machine? This is why it works on your machine, because you built it. Right? SSIS is no different. This is one reason, by the way, if you're doing SSIS and you're attempting to uh, practice a life cycle, you have to have at least three tiers. The dev environment where you build it, that could be your laptop. You have to have some other place that you deploy it to test it first before you go to production. Or you could just go straight to production if you want to, but I have a saying about this. It's on a t-shirt. It says all software is tested, some intentionally. Yeah, so if you want your customers to test it, you can just go straight to production. But I would rather you be intentional about it. And the reason is, everything's going to work on your machine because you built it. You've got it configured that way. If you need to externalize something and you forgot, and this happens to me, uh, even today, the way to find that out is when you move it to this other machine if it won't run there because it can't connect or it, it runs with bad data, that's a good way to check that. Then you go to production. And connection strings are a gimmick, right? These are, this is something that we're always changing, but there's three sources of values I mentioned. One is that one you built it with that works on your machine version. And that's going to show up here in SSIS. So we're going to see that in the use default value from the package. Every time you deploy this, whatever the values you had in there, at development time, we're going to go with that project into the SSIS catalog. 
you can choose to edit the value. This is the literal, and you can see that highlighted there. That's exactly what I'm doing here. The third option is at the bottom, use an environment variable, and we're going to go there after this. But these literals are, are pretty handy. And when I, uh, when I have a literal, you'll note it decorates the text that makes it bold. The text that's undecorated is using the uh, design time defaults. If I go look at my other, my OADV here, I've got text decorated with an underline that indicates that I'm using an SSIS catalog environment reference. Big mouthful. And I call this even worse, I call this a reference mapping. I won't go through the whole spiel. In a nutshell, we create a relationship between an environment, which is a collection of variables with values and data types and properties, we create a relationship between that collection of values and a project inside of the catalog. That is a reference. When we do a reference mapping, which you're seeing here, this is the name of a variable, DBAW, OADB connection stream. That's the name of a variable. And we're saying inside of the, the environment, the collection of variables, there's one name to this. Go get the value from that and come through the reference all the way over to the project and put it into this parameter. Overwrite that value with this parameter. Okay, so it's like five, and really there's a twist to it that can give you six pieces, six steps that it's going through to get this. Is this complicated? Yes. Is it hard to get your head around? Yes. It took me a long time to do it. And, but once I understood it, it made, it made a lot of sense. So using these are, is a good way to externalize stuff. So I, I noticed when Mark was talking earlier, there's not many people in here doing government, right? Who's, who's doing government type? Or, okay, a few. So you know this. I worked on. I worked for Unisys for a long time. One of my friends, Tony's here. Tony and I worked together at Unisys. And we did Medicaid systems. So Unisys was a public company, and we were doing work for state agencies, that were spending federal money. I was the ETL architect. We had about 40 ETL developers at one time. There were auditors lined up, okay, outside my office that talked to regulators and auditors and stuff. And we had to come up with ways to satisfy their really good questions. One of the things they would not tolerate is I run the code in dev and I run it in test and it's all good. And then I start letting others run it through the other tiers in the life cycle. What they would not condone is once I got to the pre-production tier and they signed off on it, is me saying, okay, I'm going to change the connection strings now and then deploy that to production. They're like, no, you're not touching the code. We signed off on it. It's auditable. In some cases, it's against the law, right? Depending on the type of, uh, of regulatory agency that's involved. So, no, we couldn't change the code, but they were fine with us changing things in the configuration file which if you coded it, you know, in some ways, that could be even more dangerous than changing the code. Anyway, don't tell anybody, anybody an auditor? <laughs> okay, you're not working for any of my customers. Okay. Anyway, so that's, that's what they, that was their thing, and I get it, I totally did. But so we, we pulled this out, and they were fine as we migrated it through, we totally changed the connection strings and passwords and, and everything we needed to, and they were all good with that. As long as the package didn't change. Excuse me. And I kind of get that. I kind of get where they're going. But those are our, our three sources of values. You can see what it looks like when we uh, override using an environment variable or a, uh, a reference. <coughs> Pardon me. And that's what it looks like. We pick uh, an environment variable from the list here. The reference itself has been created prior to this. Um, we cancel here and go to the references list. I've only got one reference configured here, but that's that has to be done in the configure project. And this is good and configured. And this is running in my local catalog here. You see I'm on the demo, an instance called demo. And if I right click this package and click execute, it's going to say, we know you want to execute, but you said we're, we're going to use an environment. This is saying, pick a reference. If there's more than one in here, and I can have more than one in here, I can choose the one I want to run with. I can click OK. It always prompts the catalog does it says, do you want to look at the overview report for a local run? I don't. The reason I don't is because I've got this open here. This is the all executions report. And I wasn't quick enough. I was running my mouth. But we can see it ran at 1119. It just finished. It ran and succeeded. I've got a little test query over here that I can you know, do a record count on. 
In fact, we can see there's, I wasn't lying, 19.995. If I run that again, there's our 20.057. These are the numbers we saw a little while ago when we ran it, right? So it's actually loaded those into, and this is a local database, AW local, Andy, whether local. It's just, I'm, I'm testing here locally. Um, so now it's time to promote this to the cloud. Now, there's a couple get gotchas here. So one is, here's, remember I talked about the environment. Here's that environment. I showed you the reference to this environment. Here it is. And here's the variables that we were looking at in the dropdown that are available to me to use. And there's the values, and you know there's a sensitive setting and a data type and description and all of that. Rarely, rarely do I have just a couple environment variables when I configure an SSIS project. And those of you who do SSIS and use config files, I bet you'd say the same. Most of the time, there's somewhere between, I don't know, maybe there are some with a couple in it, but I've gotten, I've had dozens of externalized values in here. Have you, have you done that? Okay. So it's important to me to come up with a way to manage this, right? And if I'm copying files, that's awesome. Just right click, copy, right click, paste, open the file, edit it in Notepad or Notepad++ or something. I'm all willing to do it. But here I need to promote this code and then edit it again. And here's where I hit the first stumbling block. When I click the script button here, I'm kind of bring this down a little bit so you can see what happens behind it. When I click the script button, it doesn't do such a good job of scripting that. It opens an empty one. It's not empty. There's a character return line feed in there. And I, I can't promote this. Now, if I remember prior to clicking OK when I create this environment, if I remember to click script, it'll script everything out for me. So it's all is not right. Also, you can search online, and I like the website sqlservercentral.com, great site for SQL Server related stuff. There's some clever scripts out there, T-SQL that'll go find these and, you know, you add a few parameters, and it'll find the, the, uh, the values you need, and it's T-SQL that writes T-SQL. Really clever stuff out there. I like that. Um, one of, another place where this starts to, to bother me and you know this configured part, right? Remember when I selected these these values, like for here, when I did these, this is where I, I did the reference mapping. Up here is where I did the literals, and it's the same deal. Except, pay attention. Watch right here where the mouse is when I click the script button. Did you see that? It's just a hint of a progress bar. I don't even get a carriage return line feed like this. No. And again, it's. I'm, I promise I'm not trying to pick on, I'm, I have friends on the team, the SSIS team at Microsoft, friends who built this even, and they're smart people. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened because they're professionals and they won't tell me, but this is not complete. That's what's going on here, it's not complete. It works, again, same deal, if you configure this and then click script, make any change to it, it'll, it'll script it right out for you. Um, and the catalog is awesome, it does some really neat stuff. But there's that, not only is there that, but let me open that configure window up again. I closed it a little too soon. In order for me to see what the value of this connection string is, being overridden here, and configure that out, I have to open up a couple of extra windows. So there's my, there's my connection string value there. And then if I go look at my page, yeah, so there, okay, that's, the name of the variable, and that's the name. Okay, yeah. You see all of the, I got two windows open in addition to the stuff here, and I'm kind of going like, I understand why it's this way, but it just seems like a, a lot of extra work, and it's not very intuitive, at least not to me. And I'm, I'm not very bright, so maybe that's it. But what I did, just for giggles, is I built this tool that I call Catalog Browser. It's free, and I'll have links to it. But the, the code for the, but the uh, presentation is already up there on the site, uh, Tim and Brian and uh, everyone set up. But what's nice about this um, is everything's just in a tree. So here's the project we were looking at in the package. Um, here's that, that one we were looking at. That, and this is, I love this feature. I call this values everywhere. This took me an inordinate amount of time to write because I, I just, it just did. But there is the reference, the one reference. If there were multiple references, I said you could do multiple, they'd all be listed here. And then if I expand that, there's the value right there. 
I love that. Does that make sense? Value is everywhere. It's just there. Is it okay that it's free? Okay. We've got DILM, which stands for Data Integration Lifecycle Management. DILM Suite.com. You can go there and get it. You got to fill out something. I haven't figured out how to make WooCommerce just say, you know, give me your name or something and then get it. I'm, just, I'm not very good at that part of it. I'm okay at writing GUIs like this. Um, but you can see, and it does things like protect your, you know, your password. It doesn't write down the value of the password and stuff like that. Um, there's a list of package connection references. This is another kind of another view of values anywhere, or values everywhere. This is more of a what does it look like from the perspective of the reference? So it starts with the environment variable, which is the only DB connection stream. It shows the mapping to the. Uh, the, the project OLADB.connection, sorry, the connection managers, that, that's what the name of that is, DBAW.OLADB. And so it gives you a couple of different perspectives on it. It's read-only, it'll show you everything, but it's free, right? Did I mention it's free? Okay, there's a link down here at the bottom that says, if you want more, there's another tool. And I'll show you the other tool before we wrap up. But how do I get this into, um, you know, into the cloud? There's a couple ways to do this, and you may not be aware of some of these, so this, this is my project. One thing that I can do is I can right-click on this project, and, and I can export it, and if I do this, it'll, it'll pick a spot and make an ISPAC file. ISPAC files are kind of a, a bundle of a collection of documents, project parameters, the packages, and then a couple of other documents that kind of serve as manifests. But the, when you double click on an ISPAC file, it opens the Integration Services Deployment Wizard. We're gonna do this in just a minute. You'll see it, it'll go up there. But um, there's, there's some other functionality that you can do uh, in here, and this deploy packages is one way to do it. This also opens the Integration Services Deployment Wizard. And I gotta, I'm a fan of this software. This is awesome software. Um, it, what it, what it will allow me to do one thing is when I get to select source here, it says, where, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go from? And I can pick a bunch of different deployment models. I can pick project deployment. And if I do that, this of course, you have to be in project deployment mode to, to use the catalog. I couldn't do package deployment mode and it still works like it's working for you in the file system. But look at this option. Nobody ever does this option, maybe. Integration services catalog. Anybody ever done this? And way up if you have. Okay, okay. So you can do this from one server to the next. The reason I got excited when I saw this is this reminds me of my old days as a software developer back before .NET. The years began with a one. We used to carve our own chips out of wood. It was a long time ago. But what we would do is we would promote code from dev to test to QA to production. But we would do it from dev to test and then from test to QA. Did y'all, anybody ever do that? Am I the only one that did that? Yeah, that's how you got it in production because you were debugging and if you were doing it right, I think, you were always source controlling it, right? You're debugging and sticking it into source control because SSIS is software development and there are two kinds of software developers, those who use source control and those who will. You will lose code, it'll break your heart and you'll go, I should have used source control. And it's free at visualstudio.com for a team of up to five. I think it's still free. I use it. This, this gave me kind of the mechanism, at least it let me know it's possible it, when I'm in the catalog to, to run from dev to test, test to QA, QA to prompt, right? Once I got it configured. But here's the catch. Remember those two things I showed you that I can't script out? The environments and the reference mappings. It doesn't pick those. This is just the packages in the project. And it's great. I mean, this is needed. It's necessary. We need to move that. But I don't have a story. I don't have a whole a complete what Microsoft is now calling as part of Azure DevOps, CICD, continuous integration, continuous deployment. I think that's what CICD is in. I get the D wrong all the time. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But that's what they're trying to do, and they've talked about it. In fact, if you go to adf.azure.com, that site we just went to where you could click and configure, there's some videos at the bottom. My friend Laura Rebelke is doing some. Um, Garov, and I can't remember Garov's last name, he's on there talking about how they do the CICD story. They are working on 
making it so you can just walk this right through and now your data integration can play in source control and version control just like JavaScript. It can do all of those things. And that's awesome because SSIS is software. But Andy, you keep saying that. Yeah, software <laughs> It's not database. So we need to treat it like that. So this is good. I'm not going to finish the wizard here. I'll go ahead and cancel this. But you see, you can do that. And you can do it right from a node. Um, what I am going to do is I'm going to open up the, uh, I'm going to actually open up SSI's catalog compare. And I've got my local version here. And that's going to show you, this is, uh, here's our project. And this, if this GUI looks very familiar to what we just saw, that's because it is. It's the exact same code underneath. Part of the reason, I discovered, let me say it this way. When I started writing both the viewer and especially the catalog pair, and I wanted to be able to script out those objects that it won't script out in SSMS, I couldn't get those pieces to work. I'll just say that. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's much more talented, uh, C-sharp developer than me, and I said, I, I don't know what's up. He couldn't get them to work either. He said, I don't think it's you. I'm like, well, what do I do? And he says, you've got to build your own option. Now, at the time, I thought I was about two weeks away from releasing the very first beta of Catalog Compare. It's a couple, three years ago. And no, I was, in fact, six months away because I had to build this option. I did, though. I built the option. And I was able to, to do all the script. And in fact, I scripted out everything for this. And I put it in my development. I put it in my E drive. In, in my uh, my test folder here, and this is the local version of it. And what it does is it makes folders and stuff that makes sense. Um, but it creates SQL files for everything in that folder. So if there's a dozen uh, SSIS projects in there, you're going to have a dozen ISPAC files, and they're numbered, and that number is intentional. These are dependency driven. So the one creates the folder. Everything in here is uh, re-executable. There's a mathematical term called identifier, which means if you run it over and over again, you get the same results. It doesn't drop and recreate the folder. It checks to see if it exists. If it doesn't, it creates it. When it does something like that, it tells you down at the bottom in the messages in SSMS what it did. You can copy that, put it into a ticket, a notes field in a ticket, and then close the ticket. Um, Tony was here a little while ago, I don't know if he's still in here or not, but Tony, when, when Tony and I worked together at Unisys, I used to do this regularly, and it actually saved my job one time. Story for another day. Maybe catch me at lunch, I'll tell you how. I didn't lose my job because I copied and pasted messages out of SSMS. But everything in here is, is just laid out. And if I want, I can do um, even this. I can say, you know, for, for this folder here, generate all of my scripts. Note I can deploy too, by the way, back and forth. I can generate the scripts for this one. I'm going to leave this in my um, in my Azure Loader local. You just saw that folder, I think. Yep, there it is. So the only thing in there right now is the V demo instance. When I click OK here, it's going to give me an SV Andy demo instance, and it created a, a folder for the catalog folder. And then there's the same set of scripts, except the values are all different because these are from the cloud. So the Connection strings are good. It's not running local anymore. Um, but all of those are out there. And if I wanted to, I could just open these up and do it. And remember, you know, two, I could just right click at any given time and say, deploy the folder and everything in it. If there's a dozen projects in there, it's going to deploy all of those. 100 packages, they're all going. If there's 12 environments, they're all going. If they participate in references, that's all going. The literals, the reference mappings. It takes time to do that right now because connecting to the cloud and loading that much data. The way that I do it right now, it needs, it needs optimization, but it works. And it's a way to get your code from where it is to where it needs to be. And if you do all of that, however you do all of that, however you get uh, this data to the cloud, once you've done all that, that, all of that lifting and shifting, you can then connect to the uh, to the database. And, and to, one thing about this connection, let me just show you. Um, there's a couple of ways to connect. One is you can just you can connect to just the, the database engine, the relational database engine in Azure SQL DB. But if you want to connect to the catalog, you have to use a SQL login to do this, and you have to pick SSISDB here, like I do there. 
If you don't do that, I'll show you, you'll get a connection that looks different than this. I mean, it's not broken or wrong, but it doesn't have, if I just do default and click connect, it'll connect to that. But notice my nodes here are databases and security. And I've got a bunch of databases listed here. Up here, I connected to SSISDB, and I've got databases and integration services catalog. So when you do that in SSMS, it, uh, it knows, oh, you're connected, so you can read some catalog. And you can do all of the same stuff. If I right-click and click Configure, um, there's everything up there. I've got uh, the same reference mappings here. I've got different connection strings. I'm connected to a server named SVAW. And if I run this, uh, just like I was running, I can execute from here. The execution dialog looks a little different in the cloud. I've got this tree view here, but I'm going to pick my environment. I'm going to click OK, and it asks me, do I want to see the report? I don't, because I've got a version of the report open here. Uh, there's SD Andy Demo, and if I click OK, I should see package execution or pending execution. It takes a little longer to get things spun up out there, but it works, and it'll run. Um, in the meantime, I wanted to share with you, uh, while we're waiting for that to run, that I built, I mentioned I built these tools, and they are available at DILM Suite. There's the DILM Suite, Data Integration Lifecycle Management Suite. You may have saw a book cover flash by when I was showing my About Andy slide. That was my latest uh, book. It came out at the end of last year, and it's called Data Integration Lifecycle Management with SSIS. And it's, I tell you how you would do it if you didn't want to buy any tools or write your own tools, how you would do it out of the box and where the gotchas are and things like what I showed you with the empty window when you script and stuff. I showed you all of that. And then I, then I show you, here's some tools I wrote that maybe can help. So if, you, if you'd like a copy of that book, email me and I'll send you the PDF. Don't buy it. Okay? I mean, I get like a quarter every time they sell the book. So it's not, not a huge loss. Uh, don't tell my A-Press people, Frank, is this online? Uh, I'll edit this out. <laughs> okay, yeah. Never mind. Jonathan's cool. He loves it. Because um, a lot of people are like me. They like the physical copy. But I'll send you one. Just, again, pick up a card, email me, and I'll do that. I won't add you to a mailing list or anything. Not myself. But, um, yeah, I talk about that. And, and there's some free stuff in here. One of them is this solution called Catalog Reports. And I'm looking at the local version of it right now. This is, um, and this is one of the things you can download from, from DILMSuite.com. It's free and open source. It's actually, you go to GitHub and pull down the code. It's an SSRS solution that's written in 2014. Easy to upgrade if you want to do that. I know my friend Tony does uh, SSRS, so Tony, do not look at the code too much. Uh, but it does what I want it to do. And it looks a little like what we've been looking at on the execution report inside of the of SSMS. The reason I wrote this is I had a client who really needed access to this data in production but had no business getting SSMS installed. Those reports are hard-coded into SSMS. They're beautiful, but they're stuck. And there's some clients who need access to the data in production. In this case, she was trying to get her team, they were getting ready to do regulatory reports and it was going to take them three days and she wanted to know how's the load going because when it finished they were going to start. If it was running slow, they could go take a long lunch. Uh, you know, if it was zooming right along, no, all hands on deck, everybody wait until it's finished, then we'll start. So that's what kind of inspired this. I'm going to tell you, uh, I, I hacked, I mean, innovated. Um, I used Profiler. I ran uh, Profiler against, while I was refreshing the reports, I grabbed the queries, I chopped them up to what I wanted them to do. And, then, and the, the queries are inside of the reporting solution. Usually when I put this in production, I'll pull those out and put them in stored props. But these are there so, so that they will travel with the uh, solution. Anyway, that's just one of the things there at, at the island suite you can get. The other thing is catalog compare. And one nice thing about it, I was talking about you know view and validate and then manage, is I can do that, um, that validation piece, so just comparing the catalogs. And I can see that, in fact, I'll do a real quick one because I've changed stuff do a quick compare. And one of the things I could do is I can right click and say, show me just the differences. And there are differences between this. There should be, right? Because it's running on two different tiers. One's my production tier and one is my test tier. So there, and there are ways in here to, to mask and stuff, but just being able to look at something like this, 
Um, and I totally stole the interface for this from Redgate software, uh, SQL Compare. That's exactly how it is. The good news is I talked to them about it first. I was like, I'm totally ripping you off. That's Because it's a beautiful interface, the way they do it in the trees. And they were like, yeah. <laughs> so they're cool with it, but it helps. And again, if you just need the viewer, you know, the viewer's free. You can just go. There's nothing that stops you from putting two of these side by side and, and you know, and comparing them manually, right? Looking at, the, at these guys. But that's it. Um, that, and, and just, you know, I want us to be able to do, I want us to be able to treat SSIS like I treated software. Now, don't get too, when I say software, don't get too excited. I was doing Visual Basic. But I did Visual Basic for over 40 years. It was hard to, uh, for me. I learned Basic back in 1975. I'm not making that up. I was a, a wee lad. And it took me a while to get started on C Sharp. I've done it for about three and a half, four years now. I built both of these in C Sharp. Uh, I feel like I've worked my way up to being a noob, um, thanks to help from friends like Frank, who is a, was a C-Sharp MVP, and uh, other friends, Kevin Hazard and Scott Corey, who are super smart on this stuff. But the, these tools, I want to be able to do what I was able to do with test-driven development in, in VB. About the time I was leaving software development, going to data, test-driven development, Kent Beck, I remember that book, a great book. He was talking about how to do this and, and what, what you get when you do test-driven development, what comes out of that is confidence. And I know that sounds silly, but I've had this happen to me with SSIS. I was 40 hours into a 48-hour deployment weekend, okay? And we had to roll back. And the data architect, the reason we had to roll back is there were differences between our QA and our production and SSIS kind of. And data architect looks at me and says, how can I know these match? And I was like, I don't know. That's what started me thinking about this in the first place. Is everybody that uses an SSIS catalog going to need these tools? Absolutely not. You can, I promise you can do this using the, the tools that are built in the SSMS ships and if you want to practice life cycle management and migrate from tier to tier to tier, you can go find it. Search for those clever scripts out on SQL Server Central. You can do it. You can write your own clever scripts. You can do it. This just helps. That same data architect, a couple of years later, was trying to have about three or 400 packages in production. He was trying to stand up a new environment so they could start doing some changes in their data warehouse loads. And their data warehouse architecture. And he worked on it for a week. And he actually emailed and said, Remember that problem? We, we solved it manually, writing up configurations side by side and copying and pasting from environment to environment. I'm not making that up. That's how we fixed it. And the next weekend, we were able to finish up one. Do you like, remember that? Have you thought about that before? Have you solved it? I don't think I've got something that's maybe beta. Probably alpha. I may be being generous calling it an alpha, but it was the very beginnings of this. I sent it to him, and in 45 minutes, he had figured out what was different and had fixed it. It was actually running in the other environment. He'd been working on it for a week, 40 hours. Yeah, 40 hours. He said, you know what? I probably could have done it in 30 minutes if I just started with this. It's a hard problem to solve once you need, once you realize you need to do it. Not everybody needs it. Your build, if your enterprise is running a handful of SSIS packages, you may not need this. You don't have a lot of configurations. You may not need this for anything like this. But if you're going to the cloud right now, and, and you're running on the file system right now, you need to learn about the catalog. You need to, because you cannot deploy to the file system in the cloud right now. Now, if you if you absolutely want to do that, there's nothing stopping you from standing up a VM in the cloud and installing SQL Server on it or picking one of the images that has it on there and running from the file system in there. You can totally do it that way. That costs more, but you can do it. And this has a couple of other benefits I hadn't talked about. I'll mention one. I'm almost out of time. Actually, I've got about 15 minutes, but I wanted to end early. Um, one benefit is there is a design pattern in Azure Data Factory. There's an execute SSIS package activity. So you can design a controller or an orchestrator pipeline in Azure Data Factory 
that runs your SSIS packages in your enterprise in whatever order you specify. You can spin up things in parallel, you can run in series, however you want to do it. You can do that in ADF. Um, and if you want, you can you can run it that way, but it has to be in, in an Azure Data Factory SSI integration runtime, i.e. a catalog of the So that's the thing that. I think this is just a neat idea for running on premises. I, I like the catalog for that. I think it's a really cool execution framework. Some of the stuff around the edges, and I showed you the stuff, some of the stuff around the edges isn't finished. But I finished some of it. I took my way. Anyway, um, that's it. That's my spiel. I, I really want to uh, thank everyone. And my slides are uploaded already. Um, and you can contact me. Again, there's stuff here. Uh, ways to reach me to read about stuff I'm doing. Um, I do a lot of training and I'm on uh, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook. I have heard somebody say Facebook. Um, probably the best place to do that is uh, look at data driven. Uh, Frank and I are on there as well. I don't I didn't put the link up there for data driven. I did have it in my intro. Sorry, Frank. Datadriven.tv is the thing's missing from that list. Um, these slides are up, you can get them. I've uh, co I've, actually I wrote the stairway to integration services for SQL Server. Central, totally free. Well, I, they paid me. It's free to you. <laughs> so, that was, which was really nice. They actually paid me really well for that. Um, the DILM Suite website, which I've shown you uh, kind of a screenshot of, my company's website, entdna.com. It's always an honor to present. I want to thank the organizers of DataFest for inviting me and for the huge honor of allowing me to talk to all of them this morning. Thank you. I'd be happy to take anyone's questions. On on-prem servers, right. and uh, they wanted to because the security guy said that no, I don't want to open on port one port three, but I wanted to put the data the package uh, area VQ. So you know, I know there are some workarounds, but what is the best solution? So for security configurations, I, I always hand that off to people who are much better at security than me. Um, one of the reasons I, I speak at SSIS is well, not SSIS, <coughs> good at that. SQL Server Security is I'm friends with a guy named Brian Kelly, and he writes for SQL Server Central, and he's an MVP in infrastructure and security stuff. And every time I hit a snag, I just call my friend and say, hey, how do I do this? So as a result of that, I've learned very little about <laughs> SQL Server Security. But I hear what you're saying, and when we talk about architectures here, you know, adding the cloud to the mix doesn't double our options. It really squares them, right? And if you're trying to get data from on-premises to off-premises, um, when people hire me to do this now, and I did, they do, uh, the trick becomes synchronizing it, right? You want to load all of the data from yesterday to 1899. I get insurance data. There's actually 1800s of data in there. We want to do that. Then we want to load, maybe that took a day. Then we want to load everything we missed yesterday. And then we get to the tricky part. <laughs> What? What are we missing while we're loading? And when we do that, I do that on premises still. That's my preferred method to do it. Because think about it, my target is still a connection stream. Right? SSIS doesn't care. It's an ADO or an OADV or sometimes ODBC. It's a connection stream. And since SSIS is architected to be provider agnostic, I just give it the connection stream in the client. But you need to runtime requires that phone to be open. That is under the cache, right? I believe you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question, though. It is, yeah. but yeah, it's, the security considerations, especially when you're talking about sensitive, regulated data, and it's getting just more important. That genie's not going back in the bottle. I mean, uh, other question uh, okay. uh, related to SSA is there is something called cache point or uh, I forgot the cache connection manager. Uh, no, there is a point where it comes data transfer oh. happening. Uh, checkpoints. Checkpoint. Right. So the checkpoint. So let's assume that there are 100 million of data is uh, transferring and suddenly at 50 million uh, the data got uh, lost, or lost or something. And how is really integrated with ADF V2 and you know how how is going to talk to ADF V2 saying that you know it lost or the connection at 50 million. Right. 
Really good question. So first, Microsoft kind of now recommends that you not use transfers. A couple of reasons for that. There's some caveats. One is it's very task-based. So the way that checkpoints work is when a task completes and succeeds, it writes it down in the checkpoint file. So that if the package restarts and it finds a checkpoint file, then it'll go there and say, what's succeeded? What happens if it's in a loop? That's a problem. What happens if it's parallel? You have parallel paths, also a problem. So they, they, they don't say they didn't kill it from the product, but they say be very, very careful when you use this. It's not, it doesn't store things like variable values. If you're looking through, it doesn't store things that may actually make it worth more. So the way I solved that problem, because I, I used it for the longest time, the way I solved it is I re-architected my, my packages, and I did it in a way that follows software development best practices. The very top of the list of SDLC is, is separation of concerns. And right under that, the next bullet is decoupling. So I write small unit of work SSIS packages instead of what I call a monolith. If you've built monoliths, don't feel bad. I promise I'm not picking on you. It's not your fault. Nobody told you to do it differently. But if you build a, a, the minimum number of data flows per SSIS package, optimally one, then you've got separation of concerns. You, it promotes code reuse, too. But it creates another problem. Now you've got, you know, a bajillion packages. <laughs> Before you had one, it had two dozen data flows in it. Now you've got two dozen data packages. What are you going to do? So that's another uh, a different product. It's out there on DILM Suite. There's a free open source version of it. I call it an execution framework. And that will allow you to drive that with metadata. Just run this package, that package, that package. Very simple, not complete answer, but that's that's how I address checkpoints. If the package fails, I could restart it at that package. Right. Well, see, that's a design pattern. That's an incremental one. And you just make the package so if you run it every week, it loads a week's worth of data. If you run it every five minutes, it loads five minutes worth of data. Different solution. But interesting questions. Let's catch up. We'll, we'll catch up afterwards because those are, you've got some interesting stuff going on. Any other questions before we wrap up? All right, I'm around till two, three, something like that, depending on the weather, literally. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I'll be here, and I won't be here tomorrow. So if you've got anything that you do want to raise your hand and share, catch me in the hall, come tap me on the shoulder, I'll stop. Cool? All right, thanks again. Enjoy lunch and the rest of the day.